Hello and welcome to episode 324 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the writer and director Andy Edwards. We get to sit down and talk with the director in great detail and focus on his brand new film, The Horror Punch. It's out now on all digital platforms and I think you should go and check it out. He's a great guy, it's a short and snappy chat and you do get a guest appearance from my little dog Florence throughout. You've probably noticed that in the past and I don't normally highlight it but she is the producer of the podcast and she's asked for basically her to be given credit. So this is my opportunity to recognise that and show, yep, she does make a guest appearance on today's episode. And before I get to the interview with me and Andy, let's quickly touch base and talk about my last episode. It's been a manic week. I promised everyone out there five episodes in one week. And we started the week with Matt, the singer and songwriter from the amazing band Citizen. This episode's blown up. It's been such a big response, a great band. And what I really love more than anything when I do this podcast is when I see someone come along and say, ah, never heard of this band, listened to your episode, and now I've checked them out and love them and have been listening to them since. That, for me, is a dream come true. So thank you so much to everyone that's taken the time to listen, who checked out the podcast. It really means the world. I think all that's left to do today is to get straight to the interview with me and Andy. He's a great writer, a great director, and I think he has a massive future ahead of him. So here's me and Andy talking all things film. So Andy, thank you for taking the time to join me today on the Mark and Me podcast. No worries. What I do with all guests, Andy, is take it right back to the very start. I'm always very interested in maybe the first film you saw as a kid that made you fall in love with cinema. Um, I mean, that's quite an easy one for me and probably quite a repeated answer for people of my age uh which is star wars yeah um i saw it was the empire star wars and the empire strikes back uh playing a double bill um i'm guessing i was like five wow um so it would have been I think it was maybe a year after Empire came out, they released them in a sort of double bill at the cinema, and uh, that was the first thing I saw. And uh, obviously blew my tiny little mind, and I wanted to go and get all the figures and everything. Um, But then also from that, I became fascinated with uh, how it was all put together. So, you know, for Christmas, I'd ask for, like, the making of books and all the the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. And this was before you could get Blu-ray extras and all of these things. Um, so you had to get a book to find out how it, how they how they built everything. Um, and so yeah, it kind of started from there, really. It doesn't get much bigger, does it, than the foundations of Star Wars, especially you know in the seventies and eighties. And I think to have those behind the scenes, it really makes you appreciate how much practical effects were used in the right way. And George Lucas, for me, was a genius in the way he created these films with so much detail and so much time spent on the set design it still blows my mind now yeah i mean yeah they still you know i've now got a, a six-year-old myself so i'm kind of re-watching them all amazing uh yeah those the, you know the first three hold up effects wise probably better than the next three because that cg is really dated now uh whereas a lot of the model work hasn't um and you know to kind of take it on a bit to the next step of uh, 
where I decided, you know, I wanted to make films because obviously you know, I was fascinated by Star Wars, but uh, growing up uh, in the suburbs of Birmingham, that felt like a, a, a long way away in a galaxy far away. Um, but then I started, you know, hit sort of early teenager term and started going to the video shop and renting out um, things like Evil Dead, yeah, the early Jackson movies. And suddenly you can start to see, oh, hold on, this might be more achievable. Um, you know, so I remember seeing on BBC Two, they showed um, Bad Taste uh, with, with a documentary about how it was made and how he'd save up, Peter Jackson would save up in the week to buy, you know, three minutes of film so that he, him and his mates could kind of three minutes of of the film and he put this thing together um and, you know and he built all his own props and he you know made the aliens in his kitchen and all of this <laughs> kind of stuff and i was like oh yeah now this feels more like something a world that i could get into uh, so that was sort of the next step of the evolution um star wars made me want to make movies but it still it felt too far away whereas yeah you know watching you know sam raimi peter and put things together I was like oh maybe, so was that the point um was that the point in your kind of life where you thought this could become a reality it isn't just a, a dream to one day make films you could see how you can make fake blood and hire a, you know a camera yourself and go somewhere and make a horror with yeah a very small budget yeah absolutely you know those kind of, kind of things that are inspirational really because you can see the joins and it doesn't matter when you're watching it as a fan you're loving it still, but then yeah, afterwards you can go back and watch it and and figure figure it out. Um, and you can see that you know these things are just puppets and there's blood they've cooked up in the kitchen and you know they put the camera on a skateboard and all of this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's quite inspiring really. And it makes you think, oh maybe maybe actually maybe some kid from Birmingham could do that actually. Did you go down the route of studying at school and then college to want to be a filmmaker or was it a different uh, avenue for you? How, how did it actually become a reality? Um, it was kind of in a roundabout way. So I knew I knew I wanted to do it um, and I did film studies at university. So yeah. not film, film studies, um, which was very sort of academic and not very practical course. Uh, it was very interesting, but uh, didn't really teach much practical skills. Um, but then out of university, long story short, but I did a million other jobs, um, you know, that we all have to, to you know, because we need money. Um, and I had no connections to the industry or anything, so I came out and I worked in an off-licence. I worked in a call centre. Um, and then I moved to London and I uh, worked in radio for quite a while, actually. Um, and that kind of scratched the creative itch uh, for a good few years. So I had a you know, good time working in radio. And then that finished. Um, and I was, you know, early 30s. And I was like, oh, God, remember when I used to want to make films? Um, let's, let's get that on started again. And uh, I made a series of short movies, a uh, series of short zombie movies. Movies, uh called House Party of the Dead. Um and the first one we shot in my flat, um Catch Up for Blood, that kind Amazing. of thing. And we progressed to House Party of the Dead Six, which 
was you know it's a good 10 15 minutes long actually maybe 20 minutes long uh we had like 50 zombie extras um it was shot by a friend of mine called evan bolter who's just shot the last of us for hbo um it was one of his first gigs and um and then that led to ibiza and dead which is my first feature did you have a supportive background and family were, you, were they you know wanting you to pursue a career here knowing that it's such a hard world and business to make a name for yourself for um i mean they've been supportive i mean they have i've got no you know uh, connections family connections or anything uh to the film industry yeah. uh and i genuinely think if they knew how hard it was they might have discouraged me more um because it is hard you know it is there's a lot of luck involved um uh, so yes I'd, I'd say supportive but uh you know they knew nothing about the industry uh and only kind of know from me working in it how it all works really you were talking then about i be from dead do you feel this was the step and this is sort of i think nearly seven years ago eight years ago now was that the moment that the momentum felt like it had changed a bit and you were being taken more seriously or you were able to then get involved in bigger productions or a bigger budget for the films moving forward um I mean, it's got me the conversations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was obviously the hope. And so I think that's the dream that, you know, you kind of get your first feature under the belt. Because as a filmmaker, you're always, you know, if you've just done shorts, for example, everyone's always like, oh, well, you haven't done a feature. They're not going to take you seriously. So you always think that once I've got my first feature, then the world is going to magically change and everybody's going to take you seriously. Um, but the sad fact is that I think it's something like 80% of directors never make a second movie. That's um, so the, you know, your first feature isn't a passport to success, unfortunately. You kind of almost have to start again to do number two and then number three. So, um, you know, it, it, you know, if it's maybe if it's a runaway hit, um, you know, you do see these filmmakers who make one one breakout hit and then suddenly Hollywood comes calling and offers them huge amounts of money. Um, but that's, you know, a rarity. Um, you've still got to hustle to get your second one. Um, you can just have more conversations, I think, when you're hustling for your second or your third because people do take you more seriously. But I wouldn't say it's any easier. And if we fast forward, obviously, to your most recent film, which we're promoting at the moment, Punch, um, how did this project come about? And was it quite a challenge to get it greenlit or was it quite a success and quite a fast moving pace film for you? Well, it was actually very easy to get this one greenlit um, because I produced it by my own production yeah. company. So I greenlit it myself. Um, so that's one, you know, if filmmakers out there are having trouble getting their movie greenlit, uh, just, just make your own production company, yeah. Make, you make your own. Um, but yes, um, you know, I'm a writer-director, had no intention really of becoming a producer, but it was in the pandemic. Um, all my projects obviously fell apart, as it did for everybody. Um, nothing was going on. Um, so I decided to set up my own production company because I didn't want to spend a year, two years, however long it was all going to last, doing nothing. So I set up my own production company. 
and produced a film called Graphic Desires. Yeah. Uh, a super low budget, small cast, achievable under COVID rules at the time. Um, you know, I didn't want to do nothing, but it was also a way of kind of teaching myself uh, the route into production. Um, you know, learning how the sausage is made from start to finish. Uh, so not just the writing and the directing, but the fundraising at the start, all the way through to the sales and distribution at the end. Um, so that was the first one. Um, and then, you know, I was coming up with more and more ideas. Um, and, you know, some ideas I come up with, some scripts I come up with, you know, they're bigger budget. You know, we need a, you know, I need a bigger production company to kind of bring that to life. Um but with Punch, I was like, actually, this could be doable on a low budget. Um, it's a good idea. No one's done it before. Um, rather than spending three years trying to pitch it out to production companies to get it made, why not just run it through my company and let's let's make that film number two. Does that feel like a, a real nice personal journey that you can greenlit your own films? You haven't got to wait on meeting after meeting, speaking to this person, that person, you can literally get that answer overnight. Okay, you might not have the funds of a dream budget, but you, at least you can have full control. Yeah, 100%. Um, and it's, yeah, it's horses for courses. Like I said, I've got other projects, which, yeah, they're going to need more money. They're going to need, you know, a bigger infrastructure behind. Um, but if I've got a project that I feel could be done on a budget that I can I can find, then yeah, it's it makes it makes it so much easier. And it's just about keeping keeping working really. Yeah. Um, because yeah, that those bigger things can take two, three, four years to materialise and then they might fall apart. Um the bigger the budget, the kind of the longer it's gonna take to put together. So whilst I'm waiting for those to happen, if I can be making my own stuff in the meantime, uh then that's that's brilliant for me. I just want to be working. Um, and we just, with my production company, we've just produced another movie, um, which I didn't write or direct. Um, so, you know, as well as kind of green lighting my own thing, it's really nice to be able to green light something for somebody else. That's brilliant. Um, so this uh, this film, it's uh, by a first time director, done a bunch of shorts, but this is his first feature. So it's really nice to be able to say, you know, say yes to somebody really. That we're going to make a film and with punch um i've been lucky enough to see an advanced screener and it left me wanting more and i did think to myself is there the possibility of a franchise do you think there might be more from this story in the near future or is it at the moment just something you've parked as a, a one-off standalone film oh 100 it was always in my mind to do a sequel um yeah. i want to do punch two punch three punch four punch five um because that was one of the reasons I created the character um, was because I wanted a slasher killer that was, you know, turning that could be turned into a franchise. Because um, we don't have any really in the UK. Um, we don't have our own Freddy, Jason. Whoever. No, it's true, actually, isn't it? There's, there's nothing um, in the UK that's kind of took off to give us more than one. Yeah, and you know, we don't do we generally do sequels very much at all in this country. Even you know, no. you think horror hits that have done well. I mean, the closest I can think of is they're obviously thinking of doing a third one in the Twenty Eight Days Later series. Yeah, but that's took you know, twenty know, years. Yeah, like, twenty years between number one and number three. So, 
Um, yeah, that was that was my intention. So the fact that you you're thinking, oh, I'd like to see more from this character in this world is is brilliant, really. Um, and if we can get you know everybody thinking that, then yeah, I want to do number two, number three, number four, and not necessarily me do them. Get other filmmakers in, other writers, um, turn it into a proper franchise. And you just mentioned then, obviously, your production company are going to greenlit another film, but it's not you writing, it's not you directing. It gives an opportunity to another filmmaker to tell their story. What's next for you in the way of writing or directing? Have you already got work lined up? Is there an idea that you're thinking of? Um, or we've got paper? the... Uh, sorry, yeah, we've got the... Probably the fourth film that Paranoid Android are producing... Uh, and I am writing and directing that one, and that one's hopefully going to shoot in March. Uh, top secret at the moment, we're just casting. Um, but as soon as it's out, I will let everybody know. As soon as we're Sorry. in production, um, it's it's always risky, you know, because anything can happen. I was, you know, I don't never want to jinx a project. No, <laughs> I'm going, oh, we're doing this, we're doing this. Um, but yes, fingers crossed, and I can only cross them on one hand at the moment because this one's yeah. broken. Um, you're in the wars. Yes, we will be shooting uh, a next film in March. What I do on the podcast, and it's my final question for you today, obviously I'm aware of the time, is every guest that's been on, I've done over 300 episodes now with writers, directors, actors, musicians. Um, what I like to do is try and make the podcast as personal as I can, is ask the guests to pick a song they love to be played at the end of our today's interview. So as the interview plays out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon, the song that's played is chosen by the guest. I don't give you long to think about it, but if there's a song that means a lot to you or a piece of music that came to your heart and your soul as I asked the question, I'd love to know what it is and what makes that song so special to you. Oh, God. Um, Talk about putting you on the spot, eh? This is definitely putting me on the spot, but... Uh... There is a piece of music, and I will send it to you. Okay. Um, because not many people which will have heard this. Um, and it's the title track that we used uh, for Punch. Oh, lovely. It's an old folk song. I say it's an old folk song. It's not that old at all, because uh, the guy who wrote it, a guy called John Connolly, is still alive. Because um, I was looking for an opening track to kind of play over the opening credits, and looking at you know if you know obviously Mr. Punch has got a rich history, so I was looking for for songs, um, and I came across this folk song called Punch and Judy Man, and it's been covered by lots of artists, but it's written by a guy called John Connolly, and I tracked him down, and he lives up north, and messaged him and said I want to use this song, but want to get a cover version of it because um, I wanted a female vocalist on it. Yeah, um, and he said yeah. Cool, go for it. Um, I'd give him a little bit of money um, for the rights. Um, and so we recorded a brand new cover version of this song. Oh, um, over the credits, uh, which I'll send to you after this interview's done. I'll write that down. <clears throat> Andy, it's uh, been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm really grateful for your time. Um, good luck, and I really hope it won't be long until we see the announcement of Punch 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, as many as we can get. Excellent. We want him in space by number 10. Definitely. If it's not in space by 10, you've done something wrong. Exactly. But uh, good luck with everything. And I'm sure I'll pass across at Fright Fest or uh, a film event in the future. And uh, please keep in contact. And as soon as the episode's yeah. ready, I'll tag you in and share everywhere. Excellent. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Good luck with the rest of the press. Thank you. Thank Take you. Care Take now. care.
Bye-bye. So there's my interview with me and Andy. What a lovely guy. Great director, great writer, such a great vision. And anyone that wants to come on the podcast and talk Star Wars is always welcome. I want to say a massive thanks to Andy for coming on the podcast. And as you heard, we talked all about his brand new film, Punch. This film is out now digitally, so go and check it out and then let me know on any of my social media channels what you thought. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share it. I say this on every episode because it's crucial to the growth of Mark and me. If you're listening and you have a Twitter account, why not hit the retweet button? If you're on Facebook, hit the share button. And on Instagram, just hit the little heart or put it as part of your stories. I see more and more people do it each and every week and it means this podcast gets bigger and grows naturally. And that's all I can ask for. Also, if you've really enjoyed today's episode and want to go that little bit extra, I do have a Patreon account. That's hooked up if you go on markandme.com. There's a simple link. And to say thank you for giving me maybe one or two pounds a month, you'll receive a welcome pack. That includes a really nice limited edition pin badge, some stickers. You also get an exclusive newsletter each and every month and an episode which is only available to people on Patreon and that's called The Lost Tapes. This is my way of saying thank you for supporting me and allows me to go out there and do the podcast for you all over the UK and without that I can't do the podcast. I understand times are tight, I understand money's hard but it's literally £2 a month and that makes a huge difference to Mark and me. Also, just before I go, I want to give a big shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, Richer Sounds. If you're in the market for a new home cinema, TV, Sonos system, surround sound, vinyl deck, whatever you're looking for, then hit up richersounds.com. You will not regret it. And as you know, this week is going to be a busy week and you're going to be receiving another episode in less than 48 hours. So stay tuned for that. And until then, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Down the lanes of foggy chimneys Through the little seaside town Strides the east wind like a dragon Strewing leaves of ragged brown Winter's planting icicles Along the barren shore And the punch and Judy man Is gone forever Mr. Punch and Judy man Time flows like the yellow sun Bring me back the childhood land Of summers long ago Hear the ghosts of penny arcades Jingle jangle in the pier Come the sound of laughing children Fading with the dying year Songs of sunshine leave the world To winter's weary way Childhood land of summers long ago. Mm-hmm.